Proverbs chapter 3, verse 29 says, Devise not evil against thy neighbor. The word devise here means to develop a plan, to plot, to scheme. And the word evil here means uh, not, not something like evil in the sense of sin. You'll see the word evil in the Old Testament a lot of times, and uh, it'll talk about God doing evil. And it's not talking about God doing something morally wrong, but something that is uh, damaging, okay? Uh, like uh, if God sent a, a whirlwind and, or, or sent hail upon Sodom and Gomorrah, then that would be doing evil to Sodom and Gomorrah, but it would not be evil in the sense of morally wrong as we would think of it today. And so he's saying, devise not evil or don't plot or scheme evil, which here means damage, harm, or affliction. Solomon's saying, do not plot or scheme to do something that would cause damage to your neighbor. Damage to their property, uh, something that would harm your neighbor or cause uh, them affliction or to suffer some type of, uh, uh, whether, uh, of damage, whether it's to their health or their property or their finances or their emotional well-being. Don't do anything to bring affliction or damage to your neighbor. So when you're making plans for yourself, always consider your neighbor as well. And don't plan to do anything that would harm them in any way. Don't do anything to them that you would not want them to do to you. A Christian neighbor should be the best neighbor a person can have. One of my neighbors is a nice man. He has a nice family. But he doesn't do so well keeping up with his property. And he and his other family members, they usually park out on the street up against the curb. And he has a beautiful tree in his front yard that he planted when it was little. And, and it's up nice and big now. But it, as time has gone on, the limbs have stretched on out toward the street. The overhang down low, or were overhanging down low, so that, you know, when he tried to park up against in front of his house, well, the limbs were there, and instead of trimming his limbs, uh, you know, the, the, the limbs began to interfere with his ability to park there. So what did he do? Instead of trimming his tree, uh, his, he and his family started parking in front of my house and blocking my mailbox. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you'd go out and open the blinds. I love getting up in the morning, open the blinds and looking outside and seeing the sunshine and seeing the neighbors walk. Well, we'd go, I'd go open up the blinds and there I'd see my neighbor's cars in front of my house. And uh, it, was, it was pretty uh, aggravating. So that was their plan to address their parking situation. Don't trim the tree. Don't keep up with your property. Just move down and park in front of Richard's house and then walk back to your house. I, I don't understand the mentality behind it, but that was their plan. Their, their plan involved an inconvenience on my part and an eyesore to us when we looked out our windows. And I was very patient with my neighbors. 
I'm one of these guys that tries to avoid conflict and tries to be nice. Y'all know me. I'm sweet as they come. But one Wednesday evening, as I was coming home from work, and I drove up to the house and I saw my neighbor's vehicle parked there by my mailbox, I finally, like Popeye, I, I had all I can stands and I can't stands no more. So I drove came home and I drove right past my house. I drove right past his vehicle and I pulled up there in front of his house and I parked right in front of his house, in front of his mailbox. And I walked back to my house and went inside to eat supper and get ready to go to church. And by the time we started eating supper, uh, he was already out there starting to move his vehicles and they went and parked down in front of somebody at some other neighbor's house. And uh, when we got through, Tammy and I, we got through eating supper. We walked down the street to his house, got in our vehicle, and we drove on to church. And we came back. All his vehicles was in front of his house. And that week, his tree limbs were trimmed up, and he's been parked in front of his house ever since. But I just wanted him to see what it felt like. I wasn't trying to do evil to him. I wanted him and his family to see what it felt like to have someone encroach their space and park in front of their house and block their mailbox and just walk inside my house and just leave my vehicle out in front of their place. And when they saw what it was like, you know, I guess they decided, well, we better get our stuff back on over here. We'd rather have our vehicles here than Richard's. But when you involve your neighbor in a plan you make, or better said, when you make a plan that involves your neighbor... Make sure it does not adversely affect your neighbor. If your neighbor owns livestock, don't plant something along your fence row that is poisonous to livestock and they come over and eat it. Uh, Consider your neighbor as you'd want them to consider you. Now, of course, there's more obvious plans that we could make when we're looking here at Solomon's commands that would harm our neighbor. My grandfather who used to uh, be a member of this church long, long ago. Uh, One day he went to church, and while he was at church, uh, apparently someone set fire to his outbuilding. And when he got home and found his building burned, then uh, it made him uneasy to go to church and leave his property unattended uh, on Sundays, because you never know what's going to happen next time. He suspected one of his neighbors did it. He thought he knew who did it. Solomon saying, it's a special kind of sin to harm your neighbor. A special kind of sin. Look back in your text. He says, he says, excuse me, get back to the text here. Devise not evil against thy neighbor. Why? Look what he says. Seeing he dwelleth securely by thee. In other words, by living in your neighborhood, your neighbor has made himself vulnerable to you. Did you know that? Did you realize that? Your neighbors make themselves vulnerable to you. When they built or bought their house close to you, close to where you live, in some degree, they had to trust you. 
They have to trust you just by living close to you. That's what Solomon means by saying they dwell securely by you. They, they, they trust that you're not going to take advantage of their vulnerability to you. So, Brother Richard, how do they make their, themselves vulnerable to me? Let me explain. My neighbor across the street from me. Uh, I happen to know that uh, she lives by herself, is a widow. I know her age. I know where her child lives. And I usually know when she goes out of town to visit her child. Now, don't tell me she's not vulnerable to me when she leaves. Because when I know she's out of town, well, I could just sneak over there. I know where everything's at. I know where her garage is. I know what's in her garage. I know what kind of car she drives. I've been in her house before. I could go over there and help myself. Just take the stuff back to my house when it was dark and no one was looking. She makes herself vulnerable to me. Your neighbors... Learn your schedule, don't they? You know your neighbor's schedule in your neighborhood? Sure you do. They know yours too. Yeah. Your neighbors know your schedule. Your neighbors see when you have packages delivered and set out in front of your door. And all day long, a lot of times in my neighborhood, I've got people walking back and forth in front of my house and they see those packages right there. Some of them are running in the neighborhood. They could just run over there and grab it and run away. And they don't. They don't. Even though I'm vulnerable to them. They know when you're away from your house. They know when you're home alone. If you're a female, especially. They become familiar with the valuables you have on your property. And they need neighbors they can trust. When I worked for the state, my job uh, often called on me to travel out of town and to uh, do duty or some training or some mission or whatever out of town. And I'd often have to stay in a hotel. And on some occasions, they would, uh, they would double book us in a hotel so that we had twin beds to save on the state budget. And uh, a lot of times, we would room with another officer that we'd never met before. And I remember one time that happening. I saw this trooper come in. We said hi, introduced ourselves to each other. And uh, I didn't know who he was. He didn't know who I was. And a little bit later, just like at the house, he does. You know, when you go into a hotel, you start settling in to your space. And I watched him and... He's taking his shoes off and he takes his wallet out and he lays his wallet, you know, on the furniture close to his bed. And he walks away, you know, goes to the restroom, brushes his teeth, d does what people do. And I remember thinking, as a younger fellow, I remember thinking, that man is putting trust in me. Someone who's willing to lay their wallet out, which is a very sensitive thing to a man like a woman's purse. He lays his wallet out there. But he judged me to be the type of person in that brief encounter, assuming that I'm a law-abiding citizen, being in law enforcement, he judged me 
worthy of his trust, instead of hiding his wallet somewhere deep down in a pocket in his suitcase, he laid it out like he was at the house and never thought twice about it. And I remember thinking how terrible it would be to violate someone who puts that trust in you like that. That's a special kind of sin, you know? And you see, in that case, remember how Jesus did? When he was teaching on the Old Testament, there would be an obvious thing like, Thou shalt not kill. And then he would explain, the heart of that lesson, he would say, Well, but if you're angry with your brother without a cause, you've really committed that sin in its minute degree. The heart of that sin has, has been committed. And so in the same way here, we have to do with the, these commandments. When I was in the hotel that night, and that man was living in the bed next to me, he was dwelling securely by me, wasn't he? Just like Solomon sang. At that time, he fit the bill of my neighbor. Remember what Jesus taught about your neighbor? They said, who's your neighbor? Jesus said, you should love your neighbor as yourself. They said, well, yeah, but who is our neighbor? I mean, is it someone within a hundred feet of her house? Someone, you know, within a quarter mile of her home? Who, who do we have to love like ourselves? Who's our neighbor? And Jesus took it to the minute degree. So, well, suppose there's this stranger here and, you know, these... Uh, these uh, people come along and they look over him. He's fell among thieves. And, but he's a total stranger. And then the good Samaritan comes by and takes care of him. And that was his way of saying, your neighbor is anyone that you happen to come into contact with that you, in that same situation, if they come in contact with you, you then do to them as you'd want them to do to you. That's your neighbor. Whoever is your neighbor at that moment. Whoever's around you at that time. It's the same way here. That man could have gotten in the shower. He could have gone to the restroom. I could have browsed through his wallet. Maybe taken a few extra dollars and him not notice. But that night, he was dwelling securely by me. And when you harm someone who's dwelling securely by you, it's not only a sin, it's not only theft, or it's not only arson or whatever the harm is that you do to your neighbor. It's a betrayal of trust. So when we consider this commandment and we enlarge upon it as, as Jesus taught us, the principle Solomon is teaching us here, it is a principle that has to follow us wherever we go. Last week, Tammy and I were... In a restaurant, I like to take her out on a date every now and then. I like going out on a date with her. It's fun. We were in this restaurant, and there was a, a, a family here in a booth across from us, a little catty corner to us. And there was a satchel this woman had with some of her belongings in, there in that booth. And she, like, reached over to take care of a kid in a high chair. And when she did, her hip swung that direction and knocked her satchel out onto the floor and she had no idea that her satchel was no longer sitting next to her. And when I saw it, I could have thought to myself, hey, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be fun if like the waiter comes along with a bunch of food, you know, in his hands like this and he trips over the satchel and all the food falls and, you know, and I get a good laugh at it. You know, I could have thought that. I want to I sit here and watch and see what happens. Or I could have 
been a bad guy and said, hey, I know what I'll do. I'll act like I'm going to the restroom. When I get up, I'll just kind of drag the satchel along and then pick it up and take it back and see what's in it. You know? I could have planned on doing nothing and just see if someone did trip or someone happened to steal it. But instead, I alerted the woman that her bag had fallen on the floor. She thanked me. She took the bag and put it back next to her. You see, when she was in that restaurant with me, she was dwelling securely beside me. You see? She made herself vulnerable to me. I think it was this week, earlier this week, when the lady went into the airport there at Love Field and started firing rounds off, you know? At that time, those people were dwelling securely by her. If you're on an airplane... Whoever's sitting next to you or in front of you or behind you, they're dwelling securely next to you. Consider them in your plans. Whenever someone's nearness to you makes them vulnerable to you, they are dwelling securely beside you. And we'll repeat that again. This is the kingdom principle we learn from this proverb tonight. Whenever someone's nearness to you makes them vulnerable to you, they are dwelling securely beside you. You should always make sure the plans you make do not harm the people you're around. And in that same vein of thought, Solomon says now in verse 30, he says, strive not with a man without cause. It's the same vein of thought. Sometimes people get angry with life, like the woman at the airport, and they want to take it out on somebody else. And who do they take it out on? The people they're around. <laughs> that lady at the airport, she was upset at her husband, uh, supposedly for cheating on her. So she starts firing shots in the Dallas airport. It could have ricocheted, could have hit someone, didn't matter if she was pointing at them or not. She was mad at the world because life wasn't going well for her at the time. So she took it out on her neighbors who had done her no harm. She had no cause. Look at Solomon's language here. Strive not with a man, underscore the words, without cause. And I'm very glad that Solomon included without cause in this text. I'm glad that Solomon didn't say, strive not with a man. If that was the case, Brother Shepherd couldn't do his job. You know, if he just said strive not with a man and just left it off there. He says strive not with a man without cause. I'm glad he included that. You know, when, when Solomon says without cause, what he's speaking of is just cause. Just cause. Meaning, uh, if you have a just cause to strive, then it would be unjust if you didn't strive. Does that make sense? Or it could be unjust if you didn't strive. I'm, you could take the injury and not retaliate. And there would be circumstances where that would be acceptable before God. But if you have a just cause to strive with a man, then many times it is unjust if you don't strive with that man. I tell you, I don't ever want to strive with a man. I love people. I do. I like people. 
And I, I want to help people. I don't want to hurt people. But if I see some man trying to harm my wife or my family, then I have a just cause to strive with that man. You see? In fact, when I'm talking about just cause, would you agree that it would be unjust on my part not to strive with a man who was trying to harm my wife? Ladies, would you all agree with that? Yeah, sure you would. It would be unjust on my part. The Bible says that a man that provides not for his house is worse than an infidel. And one thing my wife deserves that I should provide for is safety and security to the best of my God-given ability. And so should you. And vice versa for the women if the man uh, were to fall to harm and something were to happen the best that you could do. But it would be unjust for me not to protect my wife. If I didn't strive with my family or strive for my family, I would be the sinner. It'd be a sin for you to not fight for the welfare of your loved ones. But Solomon said, he, he, he didn't say, don't strive with a man, don't fight with a man, either physically, verbally, or legal in court. He says, don't do so without just cause. Look back in your text. If he have done thee no harm. That's the key. That's what gives you the just cause. Is the damage, the harm. Could be financial damage, could be physical damage or harm. But it's harm, it's damage that is brought against you. If a man has done you no harm, then you have no just cause to fight with him. Pure and simple. Don't make war with a nation that's not making war with you. That's not bringing any harm to you. Don't go pick a fight and try to take their land from them just because you're bigger than them. That's wrong. Don't pick a fight or insult someone uh, who's done no harm to you. It's a commandment we all need to live by. But here again, Solomon said, if he has done you no harm. The point being, if he has done you harm, then you may have a just cause to strive with that man. And I believe that's very important because a lot of people have trouble, especially with scriptures like um, turning the other cheek, uh, you know, and different scriptures like that, and don't kill, and things like that. And so their conscience offends them, and they have a hard time struggling, juggling on when should I do this, when should I do the other, when would I be sinning, when would I not be sinning, when it comes to having strife with somebody. When do I take up for myself, when do I, you know, walk away. Again, the key here is harm. If he has done you harm, then you may have just cause to strive with that man. I had renters once who refused to pay me their rent. Uh, and that caused me financial harm, brought financial damage to me. What's worse, they refused to leave my house. They wanted to stay there anyway and not pay me money. So I strove with them. I didn't take a baseball bat and go try to beat the renters up. 
I strove with them in court. I fought them in court legally. And I sued them for the money they owed me and to have them evicted from my property. I was striving with them not to, not to hurt them, not for uh, 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 retribution's sake or, you know, uh, anything like that. I was striving with them because they did me harm. Striving to remedy the damage that I had suffered. Make sense? And ultimately, thank God, they were evicted and I did receive the money that I was owed. They had to be forced to, but I did get it back and I did get them out. But I was speaking to a man a few years ago about striving with a man. I have a lot of respect for this man. And he was telling me, he said, I keep a shotgun in my bedroom in case someone were to break in the house at night. He said, um, he said, now I, I, I wouldn't shoot the shotgun. He said, my plan is if someone breaks in, you know, I'll and point it at them. He said, but there's no way. He said, it's just impossible. There's no way I could shoot a man. There's absolutely no way I could take another man's life. And I remember thinking, how sad that you would not be able to do that. And I disagreed with him, even though I deeply love and respect that man. Because the Bible here is giving us an allowance. It's telling us if you have a just cause, it may actually be unjust for you not to strive with that man. Did, did uh, Israel have just cause to fight with the Philistines? Yes. If God gave David the faith and the ability to slay Goliath and win victory for his people and freedom and give deliverance to the people of God, he had not only had a just cause, but he had the ability to give that freedom. And he walked away and did not exercise his God-given ability. David would have been wrong to have not slayed Goliath. Remember what the Bible said last week? Withhold not good from them to whom it is due, when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. It was in the power of David's hand to sling that stone and slay the enemy, and to give good to the people to whom it was due, God's people. And had he had the power to do it, and withheld that from them, he would have been wrong. That was Solomon's daddy. The one we're reading from tonight, Solomon. But when it comes to that intruder, God gave us the allowance to fight when there's just cause to defend when harm is being done or to prevent harm being done. In fact, it's my belief that if a man were to break into my house and I, didn't, and I had a gun on my nightstand and I didn't shoot that man and he ended up harming my wife, I believe God would hold me accountable. I do. I had just cause. It was in the power of my hand to defend my wife. And I said, oh, I just can't shoot a man. I just can't shoot another man. Well, brother, which would you rather have? Would you rather kill an intruder or let an intruder kill your spouse? I'd rather kill the intruder. It's a just cause. Don't feel bad about exercising your ability to remedy harm that would come to you or another person. 
Christians, we don't want to hurt anyone. But if you hurt someone to prevent harm, then you're not fighting someone to hurt them. You're fighting someone to keep them from harming yourself or to bring harm to your neighbor. You're not trying to to hurt them. You're trying to prevent hurt from happening to an innocent person. And remember, God is a God of peace, but like everything else, before all else, He's a God of righteousness. And He has a just cause to strive with man. Does He not? On the day of judgment, God's going to strive with man. You know, on the day of judgment, He's going to strive with the angels He created. He's going to come back. He's going to, actually, he's going to send plagues down on the earth. He's going to separate the sheep from the goats. He's going to cast the wicked into a lake of fire. That's our God of peace. And do you know why He does that? Do you know why He's going to do that? He's not going to do it because He thinks, Oh yeah, here I go. This is going to be good. He won't do this for a long time. He's going to do it for this because it's a just cause. He's going to do it for the same reason that I would kill a man that's breaking into my home. He's going to do it because he loves me and you. He loves righteousness. And if he does not do that, there'll be no way that he can protect and defend his kingdom. The Bible says. In the kingdom of God, and when we go into eternity, there will not be anything that enters into that kingdom that will defile it. You know what defiling the kingdom of God would do? It would bring damage to the kingdom. It would bring harm to the kingdom. And so God is going to use force. He's going to use deadly force called the second death. And he's going to cause eternal death to come upon all offenders to make sure they never intrude into his kingdom and defile it again. He's doing that to protect you and me so his bride can be safe from ever having to experience sin, sorrow, and death again. Strive not with your neighbor when he's done you no harm. But Christian, this world has done God and His kingdom a lot of harm. It's brought a lot of damage. There is just cause. And if you have just cause, then you exercise uh, that God-given right not to, not to render uh, evil for evil, but to rescue, prevent, and, uh, and stop damage from occurring to you and your family. With that, we'll go ahead and close. Are there any questions about what we went over tonight? Any confusion that may have uh, been brought into your mind about some situation and you're afraid maybe God may not be pleased with you if you were to do A, B, C, or D? Anyone have any practical question like that? If so, go ahead and ask it and I'll try to answer it. And if you're online and uh, you uh, have that question, go ahead and put it online and I'll read it when I get home and I'll answer it back. It appears nobody does, so that's good. Everybody locked and loaded? No, I'm just kidding with you. All right, we'll go ahead and...
We'll go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, for telling us your heart. You don't want us to strive. You don't want us to fight. You want us to love our neighbor. But God, at the same time, you also put clarification in there, Lord. Because you know that we live in an imperfect world where great and irreparable damage can be done, Father, to us here on earth if we do not rise to the occasion and act justly when a just cause uh, occurs for us to, to act and to defend and to protect our loved ones. Thank you, Lord, for giving us those allowances, and I pray, if it be your will, that we'll never have to use them. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.